0: So how is everyone this morning? You guys doing all right? Good. So, Someone's happy to be in the house. Everyone happy? You doing all right? We're good? Cool. Awesome. We're getting back into our series through the book of Matthew, which we've entitled Jesus Plus. And today we're going to be looking into Matthew chapter 20. I guess I should say good morning, and my name is Jordan. I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And honestly, it's a pleasure for me to be able to open this passage of Scripture uh, with us today. It's, a, it's an interesting one. It's sometimes tricky. And I think it will definitely be one uh, that will definitely strike a chord with each of us. And so before we get into that, let me start today off just with a quick word of prayer. Um, Father, we just thank you today uh, for your love and just, Lord, for grace. And we thank you, Lord, that you're with us today. And I just pray that you would speak to us, that you'd keep us from what would be my opinion, Lord, that you'd give us your truth, and that, Lord, you'd be lifted up in just all of our gathering today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to continue in our series through the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told that in many ways, I think it can offend people just as much as it can inspire us. But before we look at today's text, let's quickly look back at how last week's portion ended. We read from Matthew chapter 19, and in verse 27, Peter answered him, it says, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, I want us to read this verse because the story that Jesus is about to tell is really a play on to this question that Peter was asking. Last week, we talked about the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. Jesus told him, obey the commandments. He came back, okay, check, I've done all that. And then Jesus said, all right, well then sell all you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away very sad, for he was a wealthy man. And he had great wealth. And in response to all of this, seeing this all go down, Peter has this question for Jesus. In light of all that we've done, In in light of all that we've done through our good works and our obedience and following you, what will there then be for us? And he's kind of asking the question, like, you know, because of all we've done in in following you, well, then what's our reward going to be? What are we going to get out of this? And Jesus begins to tell a story. And before we look at that story, I just want to give us a quick word about parables. There's nothing nice or easy or clear or conventional about Jesus's Parables, sometimes they're confusing, sometimes they're disorienting, if I could say it that way. Jesus' parables are designed to disorient us intentionally from our conventional wisdom. It's intentional that this happens. In order to teach us, not of our conventional wisdom, but of a kingdom, and that's the kingdom of heaven and God's way to arrange the world. And this is difficult for us, I think, because in a way we're being asked to think about the world in a way that we really haven't experienced, or we really haven't been taught to do so. And so towards this end, Jesus tells parables to deliberately, hear it again, deliberately throw us off balance in the hope that we will stumble or fall back into his grace through the truth that he communicates. You see, as long as we keep our balance, and we tend to just kind of stay where we are, don't we? But Jesus wants to disorient us. He wants to throw us off to an extent and challenge our preconceived notions, our assumptions, so that we will find ourselves back in the amazing world of his grace. But first, let me illustrate what we might come up against when we read today's text. How many of you like family gatherings? Anyone? Right? We just had, we just had a, couple, a little season of that. You know, Christmas and New Year's wasn't that far away. Family gatherings for, for most of us are, are good times, right? Sometimes a little bit stressful times, but they're good times, right? We enjoy gathering with one another. Maybe this weekend you're enjoying on this Louis Riel Day long weekend, you're enjoying family gatherings um, this weekend. And if so, I hope you're having a great time catching up, uh, eating, spending time together. I hope that there's a, a peace and calm about it as you get together. And I love getting together with our families, and I love, you know, the rest and just kind of hanging out and just kind of catching up. And what I'm really trying to do here this morning is I'm trying to paint for you that little perfect picture of the family, right? Of getting together, hanging out, talking, catching up. But how many of you know that sometimes these gatherings can take a little turn, right? Sometimes these little gatherings can change from time to time. And I find there's one key thing sometimes that can really change our family gatherings, that can really take these perfect little pictures and begin to turn them upside down. And that's when someone gets the bright idea and speaks up and says, hey, do you guys want to play a board game? How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Those of you who are chuckling, you know I know that you know, right? How many of us know what I'm talking about here? You know, can we play a board game? It kind of begins like the slippery slope of uh, the family gathering. And no, this is not a commercial for Soul on board, okay? That happens, you know, the second Monday of every month here at Seoul. You know, they, they play fair, they have fun, and they are mature about these things. But we're talking about our families here, okay? That's what we're talking about this morning. And families in board games, first goes the first round. So you play the first round of Monopoly. Everyone's still happy. Everyone's still cheering. You know, you're, you're bugging for your $200 as you pass go, right? Please, don't, don't forget about that next time you play. But then things kick into high gear when someone buys Boardwalk. And everyone's kind of thrown off. And before you know it, people start stealing things from one another. And then begins the dreaded side deals around the table, Um, You know, if if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And then people start questioning someone's move. And then, you know, things have all gone downhill when someone suggests, well, we need to grab the rule book. How many of you know that, right? We need to pull out the rule book. It's done. Put the game away and go to sleep, okay? You want to keep harmony in your home and in your families? Just end there. It would be better for everyone. You know, I kind of look at that as almost like the TSN turning point of board games, right? When you want to pull the rule book out. And it quickly goes from a mild to, you know, possibly screaming argument. People are upset. They're taking sides. And you know, and you know the whole thing's done when someone says, you know what, I think I'm just going to go to bed, right? And everyone goes to sleep. The next morning, coffee's a little awkward, right? Sometimes the odd person speaks up and says, well, I'm sorry about that. Some just continue on, right? Just enjoy the day. But board games and families can be funny, we get competitive with one another, we like to win, we like to beat one another, and and nothing annoys us more than when someone is playing by or, or, or not following the rules, right? Nothing annoys us more when we see someone do something where we think they're cheating or we think they're trying to get the upper hand on us. And normally, we hear kids exclaim when that happens, well, that's not fair. And let's be honest, as adults, we do the same thing, Right? When we see someone kind of bending the rules or making a questionable move, we as well like to think, well, that's not fair. And we get annoyed and it upsets us. Because in a board game, you know, you get what you earn. You get what you deserve. And if that gets challenged, if that gets called into question, well, then look out. And we get upset. And this isn't just simply limited to board games. But I think this is true in life as well for a lot of us. Our natural human instinct is that we want things to be fair. We want things to be fair. We want what is rightfully ours. We want to get what we've earned. And for others, we want them to be judged on a similar grid as well. And so this morning, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told that just might hit a soft spot for us. It may cause all sorts of reactions if we approach the text honestly. Because something about it will go against what we believe and perhaps what we've been taught to believe. And so let's look at it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing about five in the afternoon. He went out and found uh, still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered and he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. I read this story in our staff meeting this past week, just kind of trying to garner some reactions, and I garnered reactions from other friends and from other people. As much as I could, I would spark up conversations about this story as I was studying, preparing for this talk, and as I chatted um, with people randomly, I had a bunch of different responses come through, but for the most part, they were all the same. I think one of my favorite responses was one gentleman stepped up and said, well, you know, they signed a contract, right? I kind of appreciated that one, but... uh, um, You know, I had all sorts of responses come, but for the most part, the response I got after reading this was, well, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right. How many of you have ever read this story and thought that before? Be honest, right? You've read this and you've thought, well, come on, what gives? This seems kind of out there. That doesn't seem fair. Because you see, at first glance, the parable of the vineyard workers goes against the grain of one of our society's most deeply cherished values, and that's the value of hard work and just reward. It goes against that value. You see, the more you work and more productive you are, then the more you're out to get paid. And that's, that, 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 that's often what we live by. I don't know many who would argue that. But that is not what happens here in this parable that Jesus tells us. Jesus' story makes no economic sense, and that was his intent in telling it. Now, I want to make a disclaimer here, Okay? This story is not a sentimental life lesson about how to run a business, okay? That's not what this story is. But this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. And the other gospels use the term kingdom of God, but in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, the gospel writes, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. You see, this parable is one that we can be initially frustrated with because we're so deeply schooled in the merit system. You do good, you earn. You don't do good, you don't earn. And so we can immediately have a reaction to this story that causes us to think, what is happening here? But you know what the trouble with that reaction is? The trouble with it all is that Jesus told this story. Jesus is telling us this, and so that, that, that creates a problem for us who follow him if we want to just immediately dismiss it. You see, as long as we think that people should get what, they, what we think they deserve, we will never understand or even perceive the kingdom of heaven. And so what is Jesus trying to teach us about the kingdom of heaven through this parable? Well, let's look through the details for maybe a more modern take at it. So it's a story about a vineyard, okay? In, in the vineyard, you grow, grow grapes, you make wine. It was harvest time. And it's a really crucial time in the work. Things have to happen fast, and you need a lot of workers. This has to be a quick process. You can't just take it easy when it comes to harvest. And so we have a vineyard owner, a winemaker. It is now time for the great harvest, and if you want to make great wine, you need to harvest the grapes at the right time. It's a time-specific and critical operation, and it's hard, it's physical work in the heat of summer. And so you will need manual labors for, you know, 12-hour days for a short period, and so The the owner of the land goes to the marketplace. Now, the marketplace is where people are waiting, hoping someone will hire them so that they could have work that day, feed themselves, feed their families, take care of their bills, all that stuff. And so the landowner goes into the the marketplace. He hires some workers. He agrees to a wage. Let's just say $10 an hour, just so we can kind of picture it and kind kind of roll with it in our minds. So let's just say they agreed to $10 an hour. And he needs to get them working because the rains are coming and harvest needs to come in now. And so he hires a bunch of laborers at 6 a.m. to go work the vineyard. But then 9 a.m. comes. He realizes I could use more people up there. He goes and hires more. Then again at noon. Then again at 3 p.m. And finally, for some reason, he's back in town. And he sees some people standing around. They haven't been working. They're just kind of there in the marketplace. And he says to them, go into my vineyard and work. And he makes no arrangement with them about money. There's no contract with these workers. He just simply tells them to go. And they go. And they work. And this last bunch was hired basically at 5 p.m. that day. People started as early as 6 a.m., hired at 5 p.m., and they go and work only for one hour. And let's just make a quick note about this here. You see, this was the 11th hour, and there were still some workers standing around. And you have to ask yourself the question, why they couldn't find work? Well, we find it in the landowner's questions. In verse 6, he asks the question, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And the answer in verse 7 is very revealing. It's because no one has hired us. No one has hired us. In other words, nobody wanted them. They were the sort of people that, you know, people didn't go out and try to hire, if I could say it like that. We are not exactly sure why nobody wanted them. Maybe they had, a, you know, committed a crime. Maybe they had a bad social standing. Uh, maybe they were sick. Maybe they had a disability that that obviously would limit the kind of work they could produce. Maybe they were from the wrong side of town. All we know is that no one cared enough to hire these workers. And then the landowner approaches them until he approaches them and says you also go and work in my vineyard and the key point here is that the landowner hires the undesirables he hires the last he hires the least he hires those that no one else wanted to hire that day it's an act of mercy of of grace dare i say what is happening here love for unlovable people we'll come back to this but i just felt like i wanted to comment on it for a second now, of course, the workers in the vineyard were quite busy, but, they're, but you know, they're, they're going to be talking among themselves, and it doesn't take long for them to figure out what the going rate is that day. Because that first group was hired and promised a certain wage for 12 hours. And so everyone kind of figures out now what they're going to make. In this text, it says denarius, and I just to put it in our language, I said $10 an hour. And so if they were hired for $10 an hour, then that means that those who were hired at 9 a.m. would make $90. And those who were hired at noon would make 60 bucks. And those hired at three would make 30 bucks. And those hired at five, well, they would make $10. You know, maybe they could buy supper. Maybe they'd have enough money, you know, to, to put a meal on the table. Who knows? But now the story starts to get really interesting because the vineyard owner begins to distribute the wages to the workers. And the vineyard owner has an idea, and I'm not sure why, but he gave everyone the same amount of pay. And he puts $120 in each envelope. And he calls the foreman forward to distribute the envelopes and gives the wages out to the workers. And everyone opens their envelope, and the same amount is in each. And you know the guys hired later are going, there are six $20 bills in this envelope must have been a mistake. Just act normal, right? Just act normal. We're going to head out of here. This is great. We got paid pretty good here. Even the, even the five o'clock workers got the same amount of pay as those who started the day at 6 a.m. Now, for the most part, this makes everyone in the story happy, except for those who'd been out there working for 12 hours. Now, they're thinking, okay, it's one of two things. Either this last group gets $10 and we get $120 for our work, or if they get paid $120, then surely we're going to get $1,440 for our day's work. 12 times. Yeah, I did the math. Calculators are a beautiful thing, right? So... The early group is thinking, if the going rate is going to be, if the going rate is going to be 120 hours, then we work 12, and that's $1,440. But they don't get that amount of money. But like everyone else, they get an envelope with six $20 bills in it, $120. The same wages that everyone else working that day got, no matter how long they worked for. And they're not happy, likely. <laughs> and they see that this isn't fair if I could say it like that. And they're likely fuming, and they're, like, they're likely putting together an argument, an argument that they're going to live to regret giving, right? But they're putting together an argument, and they go to the boss, the owner, and they say that this is just absolutely not fair, and the cut of their argument, argument as said in Scripture, is that you have made them equal to us. You've made them equal to us. Those who had been out there for one hour, you paid them the same as us who had been out there all day long. You've made them equal to us. You make those lazy people, they didn't sweat, they're not even tired, and you know they've only been here for an hour, we've been here all day, and you have the audacity to, to, to pay them and to reward them equal to us? And sympathetically, and especially in our culture, in the culture we live in, I'm sure many of us have read this and thought, well, You know, they got a point. (laughs) They actually got a point. You make them one-hour workers equal with us all day workers? But the landowner also had his response ready. And giving the response, the imagined response should be, look, pal, if we agreed to $120 and that's what you got, then take it and get going. If I want to give some lesser person the same amount of money, then so what? And the story concludes. And we're kind of left chewing on it, and we're kind of left looking at it. And this story teaches us, I believe, to, 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 to ponder and, to, and, and just, to, it causes us to ponder many, many things. But I think the overall point that we can uncover here as we look at Matthew chapter 20 is this idea of unmerited grace. Unmerited grace. Does this story that Jesus tells disorient you even a little as you read it? It should. It actually should. That's natural because this story is not about the way in which our world that we live in today is run. That's why it's disorienting to us because it's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about a different kingdom. Not the kingdom in this world, but about the kingdom of heaven. And the, governments, the governance that comes from heaven is not based on merit, but is truly based on grace. But we've known that all along, haven't we? I mean... We sing the songs, we talk about it, we talk about amazing grace. Grace has been something that we've grown up with if we've been in the church any amount of time. We hear about it, we're saved by grace, etc. But when someone tells, starts telling a story like this, that somebody being Jesus and really illustrates it, it can become a little bit disorienting for those who are hearing it. And our guard can go up and we can start to wonder, well, that doesn't seem fair. You see, this story is not about people getting what they deserve, but it's about people getting what they need this story is not about how the hard working are rewarded but it's about how the poor are blessed this story is not about losers and winners but it's about a world in which there are no losers This story is not about great accounting, amazing record-keeping, and keeping score with one another, but it's about ludicrous grace. It's about amazing grace. It's about grace that, you know, the hearers had never heard about before. You see, Jesus gives us a story to help us perceive what the kingdom of heaven is like, he said. As I was studying this past week, I was reading through an author, a theologian, Robert uh, Kappin, and in his book, uh, he was talking about this portion of Scripture, and he was going on about it. And he said, in light of this story, here's a quote that he actually said in the book. Bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty good, eh? And that's no offense to the bookkeepers in the house this morning, okay? Remember what I said at the beginning. God loves you, we love you, he loves your work. This is uh, we're talking about something different here. So please keep that statement in context with the story and the kingdom principle. But in this story, I think Capon's point is very applicable to us. There's no room to be counting other people's works or other people's sins or other people's hours, etc. We don't become people who start counting what other people do. That is not a role that we're fit for in the kingdom. Think about it. If anyone else told this story, we would probably flat out reject it and probably have some issues with it. I mean, we'd write it off. We might even dismiss it. But here's our problem if we want to do that. This wasn't just anyone who told us the story, but Jesus told it. And Jesus said it illustrated a kingdom principle. And I think there's a temptation we face as people living in our world, and it's this, is that we have a tendency sometimes to treat God like we treat business. Because business is like a merit-based system. I work for 10 hours a day. I expect to receive 10 hours of pay. And I think sometimes we have a tendency where we can start to treat God the same way. God, I will give you this if I could just get that in return. And and so we put forth the effort and we try to do things so that we can earn God's love, so that God will accept us, so that God will be on our side, so that God will do a favor for us or whatever the case may be. And we try to impress God with our behavior. Then we expect to receive something back in return because of our behavior. But what that ends up turning into, friends, is that turns into religion. That turns into works-based righteousness. That's where that path will lead us. And this can even creep into Christianity. You see, Jesus is always pushing back on this idea that getting to God is based on doing good and based on your moral behavior. He's always pushing back on that idea. Jesus is trying to get us to see in this parable that it's not about our perfection but it's all about him. It's all about the landowner. You see, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Many of you have known that. You've heard probably some of my story. And I have a lot of positive experiences from that, just experience of growing up there. And so I'm not placing blame on anyone this morning. But growing up, I've told you this before, I had this idea that God was just always angry with me. He was always upset with me, and so I had to try to do something that would maybe calm his anger a little bit, that maybe I can get on his good side, that maybe he would just show me a little bit of mercy, and so faith for me was frustrating. It was like the wheel of works. I was like that rabbit on a wheel that just runs, 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 but can never arrive anywhere, and it gets tiresome, and it's difficult. And it was me trying to earn God's love and acceptance as a young teenager. And so I understand it when people fall into this. I get it because I've lived it. But I don't want anyone staying there either. And I didn't need to stay there. You see, the real point of this story is quite obviously the same point as in the famous story of the prodigal son. Anyone know that parable in Luke chapter 15? It's the same point. The offended offended all day's workers in this parable are acting exactly the same way as the older brother did in the prodigal son story. You see, I've labored all these years, he says to his father. I've been with you and this boy of yours comes back and after squandering your wealth, after uh, disgracing you, he just comes back prancing back home. And he just comes back home after I've been doing all of my work. He just comes back, he gets a party. You take out the fattened calf, you put a robe on his finger, uh, on on him, you put a ring on his finger, sorry. And it's a big old party. And the all-day workers who grumble at the vineyard owner are the same people as the older brother in the prodigal son parable. It's the same theme. And so if you feel offended by this parable, then really we're going to feel offended by the story of the prodigal son as well. It's going to put us in the same shoes as the older brother. Think about it. In the prodigal son's story, the real figure in the story is actually the older brother. That's the type of people Jesus was telling the story to. He was talking to Pharisees when he told that story. And a quick recap, if you don't know the story, is that the younger son wanted his inheritance, said to dad, give me my money now, basically saying you're dead to me. Takes off, squanders the money, all sorts of things, prostitutes, spends it on all sorts of stuff. Ends up poor, gets to a point where he wants to eat what the pigs he's working with, a disgrace in Jewish culture, are are eating. He wants to eat that. So he develops this plan, I'm going to go back to my father, apologize, maybe he will hire me as one of his hired men. And as he's approaching, going back home, his father just leaps out, starts running towards him, something Jewish men wouldn't do. Runs to him, hugs him, grabs him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, takes out the and calf and throws a party. And everyone is celebrating. And the older brother is out in the fields and he hears this from afar. And as he gets closer, he is enraged at what is happening. He's offended and he won't go in. He won't go in. And so the father comes out and actually pleads with him and affirms his love for him and says, everything I have is yours and of course I care for you, of course I love you. And the story ends like that. We don't know how necessarily the story ends because Jesus was leaving it open to the audience he was talking to, the the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would be angry about this. Jesus is throwing a party for sinners and he tells them this parable to draw them into the amazing world again of god's grace and of god's love but it's up to them you see how this story ends it's not up to jesus but to those who hear it they have a choice to make in light of what jesus has told them the way the prodigal son story ends the elder son is on the outside and there's a big party happening on the inside and it's all lit up in bright food dancing music and the older brother isn't there he's on the outside and he's not happy and he's not impressed and he's upset And the father didn't put him there, but he put himself there. And he's there alone, loathing the celebration from afar. But let's get one thing straight about the the parable we're talking about this morning, the laborers in the vineyard. If anyone is treated unfair in this story, it's not all the all-day workers who agreed to work for a set amount, signed a contract, and got out there. If anyone is treated unfairly in this parable of the workers in the vineyard, it's actually the vineyard owner. This crazy but generous guy paid unskilled manual laborers $120 for one hour of work. That is big wages in these days. And these people are picking grapes for one hour only. And if anyone is taken advantage of here, it's not the all-day workers, but it's actually the vineyard owner who's being taken advantage of in our story. But as his argument is stated right there in the parable, it's his money and he can do what he wants with it as he pleases. And that is hard when you hear it that way because you go, you you know, you got a point there. You can't really argue with that. It's his money. He can do with what he wants with it as he pleases, just as it is God's grace and God can do with his grace as he pleases. It's his grace. It's not our grace. It's not my grace to distribute. It's his grace. To distribute. And he can do with it as he pleases. And apparently, it pleases God to be very extravagant with his grace. Isn't that a good thing? It pleases God to be very extravagant with his grace. And so the choice is ours, really. We can drink up the grace of God, or we can be angry, bitter, and keep ourselves out of a party that God is throwing. The choice is all yours. Here's a question I asked in the staff meeting this past week. And I think it's a question I'm going to ask this morning. It can kind of hit a chord with us. But when we approach this story, why do we see ourselves as the 12-hour workers? You ever thought about that? Usually when I read this story, I identify as one of the 12-hour workers immediately. I don't put myself as the one-hour guy. But I identify as one of the people who worked 12 hours a day. If if we've ever resisted this parable from Jesus... (laughs) How many of you have ever read this at some point and found yourself resisting, right? It didn't seem quite fair. You know, if we find ourselves resisting this parable from Jesus, it's for one reason and one reason only, and it's because we identify in this story as one of the 12-hour workers. That's what we identify with if, if we're resisting it. And that's why it's easy for us to resonate with their offense. That's why you think, you know, they make a good point here. It's easy to see why we assume that we're 12-hour workers because our society teaches us to work hard and earn our money, right? So it's easy to see why we could identify that way. You know, nobody enters this text and takes on the role of the person who sat around for 11 hours and couldn't find work and was brought on almost at pity at 5 p.m. with one hour to go, deserving far less than all those people who'd been sweating and working all day long. Not many of us enter the story and immediately identify with that. You see, our culture teaches us, us that this is less desirable. Do what you can. Earn what you can get. And this is, the, the, this is fine in the culture of this world, and it even makes sense to us. But in the culture of the kingdom of heaven, the script gets reversed. And again, we see this upside-down kingdom at work in this story and verse 12 reveals the offense of those who are working these who were hired last worked only one hour they said and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day why do is it easy for us to assume that we've worked 12 hours when we read this story You see, one way in thinking about this parable, in terms of thinking about this parable that we can think of it in, is in terms of Jews and Gentiles. It's not the only way we can interpret it or think of it, but it is one way, as I was studying this past week. And us Gentiles in the room, and I I assume that many of us in this room are Gentiles and could identify there, are late to the party, but we got the same grace as the Jewish people. You see, and the Jewish people are the all-day workers who from the beginning have borne the burden and the blessing because it's both to be the chosen people of God. And through it all, the Jewish people bore the work of God while the Gentiles were out worshipping snakes or trees or something like that, right? But at the last moment, the last moment, God says, you want in on this? And we go, yes, why not? Then go into my vineyard, okay? And all of a sudden, we are made absolute equals with everyone who's been in on this since the beginning. So that's you. That's me. If we identify as a Gentile this morning. That's just one way of interpreting this this parable. I think it's applicable in some some respects. But the point is this. It's foolish to assume we are an all-day worker when we are probably not that at all. But even if we were an all-day worker... (laughs) Remember the point of this parable. If we get upset with others being made equal to us by the grace of God, the only one who suffers from our anger is us. And we are the ones keeping ourselves out of the party. And we drag ourselves down and we don't hurt anyone else. We hurt ourselves. You see, I really don't think that those guys who worked one hour and got the same pay as the, as the guys who worked all day going off surprised. Surprised, laughing, delighted. I really don't think they're sitting there worried about the 12-hour guys who are upset all the time. Perhaps this story teaches us about our tendency to compare ourselves with each other. Perhaps it challenges sometimes, are we people who are truly content? Do we ever compare with one another? Do we ever look at what someone else has and says, well, you know, they didn't do this, or they don't do that, and I did this, and I have that? Or are we content where we are? Is our inclination to compare ourselves to others, do we ever do that? You see, Jesus offers us something so much greater, so much better. Jesus offers us contentment. He invites us into contentment through his grace. And we are not meant for comparison, but we are meant for contentment and the scriptures speak to that as well part of the conflict was that the early workers were comparing themselves to those who started later in the day and we see these kind of questions posed throughout scripture and one that comes to mind is the example of peter he denied jesus three times jesus had just restored him and then peter says this he turned and saw the disciple whom jesus loved was following them this was the one who had leaned back against jesus at supper and had said lord who's going to betray you when peter saw him he asked lord what about him what about him and Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, Jesus responds to him. He says, don't, 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 don't pay attention to John. Don't, don't, don't worry about that, but pay attention to me and pay attention to yourself. Don't get too concerned about comparing yourself or your situation or what you're getting to other people, but simply follow me jesus would say don't try to get the upper hand by comparing yourself to someone else but instead find your significance in resting in my grace and in that we find true contentment in our life you see if if your significance in christ rests on what you do or what you bring to the table you're going to miss the point and purpose of it all because it's not about what you do but it's all about what he did it's all about what he did And so now we ask what could be the most important and applicable question for us in all of this in regards to being a part of God's kingdom. And here's the question I'll ask you. Are you comfortable admitting that you are the one-hour worker? Because in the kingdom of heaven, this is where it all starts. It all starts with humility. The, The humble are lifted up. It starts with admitting that we don't get what we deserve. And thank goodness that is the case. And thank goodness that's the case. You see, often when we trust and rely solely on ourselves, life gets pretty frustrating. It's tough. It's impossible to to, to follow God when we're trying to earn his love and we're trying to get on his good side, making it all about what we've done. It just gets tiring. Trust me, I've been there. But Jesus is saying, I don't expect you to be like the first worker, but I expect you to have the mindset of the last worker. That I don't deserve this. That I've never deserved this. That I get to experience and know God's grace. And what an amazing thing that is. That I know that. And that I've received that. And that others receive that. And that others have opportunity to experience that as well. You see, the truth is the starting point to needing Jesus is knowing that. Is knowing that we're not the first worker. But that we're like the last worker. We don't deserve it. But we don't deserve God's grace. And yet he's graceful to us. He's extravagant with it. And so we know we've missed the point if we look down on others. We know we've missed the point when we compare ourselves to other people. Maybe you look at your life and you point out to God that I did this and I did that, and those people don't do none of it, and yet their lives look so great. Living this way will only be tiresome and it'll hurt your ability to live for Jesus. And so don't have that last, that sorry, don't have that first worker mindset, but have the last worker mindset. These workers were hired not because they had done anything to deserve it. In fact, they were the weakest likely. No one wanted to hire them that day, which is why they were still standing around in the market and able to be hired at so late a time. And it's this mindset that when we approach the throne of God, we don't have anything to offer. We don't bring anything to the table, and yet the landowner still invited them to work in the vineyard. They didn't negotiate a contract. They simply trusted him for it. And when payday comes, they didn't get paid what they deserved, but they got paid what they didn't deserve. And you can imagine the appreciation, you can imagine the humility that must have came over them that day. I get all of this, you know, it just would have been unreal, it would have been marvelous for them that day. And Jesus is telling me, and I believe Jesus is telling all of us when we read through a story like this, to have that kind of mindset when you approach God and when you approach others. We don't bring anything to the table, yet God invites us. We don't deserve his goodness, and yet we have received of his goodness. You don't deserve his kindness, neither do I, and yet we receive it. And what an amazing thing that is. This is what grace is. Grace is not about what you've done, but it's simply about what's been done for you. And that is an amazing thing. And the early church understood this, and it shaped and it transformed everything about how they taught, how they thought. Up until this point, this was unheard of. It's not about what you do, but it's about what he did. You know, amazing grace, this was just a mindset. This was something that they hadn't fully experienced it. But I gained my ultimate significance from God's posture towards me. And it's a gracious posture. And the people who started work early, their significance came from from the way they performed. That's how they felt significant. But those at the end realized that their significance came in the posture of the landowner towards them. Does it matter what we do? Does it matter how we spend our time? Well, of course it does. But my behavior and my obedience, if you want to call it that, is, the, is a direct result of his posture towards me, his grace, not trying to earn something, not trying to, to gain something. Grace gives me what, now what I deserve, not what I deserve, but what I need. And then we behave and our works flow from that grace that we have tasted and that we have experienced and so in our gatherings lately we've been offering you this option to text us throughout the week there's going to be a number up at the bottom of the screen and if something about today's talk has resonated with you maybe you've been working 12-hour days in your walk with christ but you're tired and you've been trying and trying and trying and just trying to be a christian trying to be a good christian and you're tired and you feel like quitting, and this isn't working for you, and you have a tough time accepting this message, send us a text. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you in your journey. Maybe you hear of this amazing grace, and you know you need to respond to it for the first time. Text us. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to lead you in that. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Maybe you just need to experience his grace afresh. Maybe you realize you spend so much time comparing, you spend so much time looking over there that you just need God to give you a fresh word and a fresh start in your heart today. And so text us. Someone from our staff will contact you within 24 hours. As Pastor Jerry always mentions, we won't stalk you, we won't bother you, but we want to pray with you and we want to offer you support on your journey. And so let me just say this before we pray today. So even if we were an all-day worker, which I have my doubts, but even if we are, when we get upset with others for being made equal to us by the grace of God, then the only one who suffers from that anger is us. And it cripples our ability to love them, and especially love people as Jesus taught us to do. My suggestion is, is we don't do that. (laughs) But that we learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And if anyone receives the grace of God, we just say hallelujah. And we thank them for it. And we don't start counting sins. And we don't start counting all the other things that the person has done. But we be people who can be counted on. And we just say hallelujah and we rejoice with them. And we get excited about it. You know, wouldn't it make more sense just to assume that we are the ones who got full pay for not doing very much work? Wouldn't it make more sense to assume that we got full pay for almost no work and then we can call it grace? The grace of God and we can thank God for it. And at that moment, we see that. We go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think I'm an all-day worker, but I'm that person who barely worked and I still got full pay and it's ha, ha, ha because in that moment, you see that you are beginning to perceive the kingdom of heaven and the wonderful grace of God. is never based upon merit never based upon what you do the only sin is as how did robert capman word it right bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven and you were simply there simply there to enjoy the amazing grace of god compliments of the house amen let's pray father i just thank you lord for your word today I thank you, God, that it has the power, Lord God, just to judge our attitudes and the thoughts of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that wherever we're at today, that you'd speak to us, that you would encourage us, Lord, for those of us who have been working and working and trying to earn. Lord, I pray that you would help us just relax and stop and just rest in your love today. Rest in the grace that you offer us. For those who are always looking over and comparing, I pray that you would show us, Lord, that, you don't, that that's not the way you expect us to live. And Father, I just pray that each person today would walk out of here encouraged, Lord God, and strengthened. that as people who are one-hour workers, Lord God, we receive the same pay as everyone, God. And we receive your grace this morning. And so just bless each one. Lord, give us that grace. Don't give us what we deserve. And we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, Have everyone stand. I'm going to leave you with a blessing today. Pray that you go out encouraged on this long weekend, spend time with family and friends. But here it is. In ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands, and those who wanted to receive a blessing did likewise. And here it is. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you as one-hour workers. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace that only he can give. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen, amen. God bless, enjoy his grace today and uh, make sure you thank him for it. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.